0: a partnership. It's a partnership with the state, it's a partnership within your college, and it's a partnership in the community. You sit down and you look at all those different resources and supports that you provide students, whether it's on campus or off campus, and see how can we intertwine that with what we're already doing.
1: You know, sometimes that there are projects or programs that are grant funded initially, and then you know the grant doesn't get renewed or whatever, and it doesn't matter the source. But it's sort of like, well, what do we do now with all this this great infrastructure that we have? And so, I think snap and T is one way that you can cr- create some sustainability.
2: I think you just have to keep an open mind and know that it's going to take a while to work through all the details. But as long as all the parties are willing to work with each other. Um, we can all be successful with it.
0: This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Kaylee Woods. This episode of In the Know will feature the third installment of our SNAP-ENT grant partnership series. Camille Vega from the Nevada System of Higher Education and Stephanie Barhorse from Lorraine County Community College join us to discuss what it's like to serve as a third-party SNAP-ENT provider the challenges they faced along the way, and the advice they have for community colleges looking to begin a partnership.
1: My name is Steve Jurch, and I'm the director of the Center for Policy and Practice here at ACCT. This is our third episode in our SNAP employment and training discussion as part of our participation in a national partnership grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food and Nutrition Services, that the American Public Human Services Association received. In our first episodes, we spoke with Brandy Wisman from the APHSA who gave us an overview of the project and how human services agencies play a part in SNAP ET. and t We then turned our focus on the different ways of SNAP ET and t contracts being structured with colleges. We spoke with Nicole Braxton from the Louisiana Community and Technical College System and Kate Kinder from the National Skills Coalition to discuss the use of the intermediary model. Today, we're gonna to look at another aspect of the project, which is what does it look like for individual community colleges to contract with their state agencies to become third-party providers of SNAP ENT? So to help us understand this model, I'm joined today by Stephanie Barhorst from the Advocacy and Resource Center at Lorraine County Community College and Camille Vega, who is the SNAP ENT project coordinator for the Nevada State Higher Education Association. Prior to her role at Enshi, Camille served as a program coordinator at Truckee Meadows Community Colleges where she ran the SNAP ENT program. Thank you both for being here.
0: Thank
2: you. Thank you.
1: So to get started, um, I did ask this question to the intermediary organizations, but I do wanna get your take as well. So, you know, SNAP ENT is a federal and it, it, it's referred often as a grants program. It's not really a grants program, it's a reimbursement program. Um, for third-party providers. And there are a lot of different third-party providers from community-based organizations to uh, workforce agencies to community colleges. Um, You know, here at ACCT, we've been tasked to, you know, look at uh, increasing the number of community colleges as third-party providers. In your experience, why do you think community colleges are such a good fit as a SNAP ENT provider? And um, why don't we start with you, Stephanie?
2: I think Community colleges are such a wonderful fit for this program because we're offering the training for the in demand occupations and then we're offering that student support so it's kind of like a one stop shop. um, For students to be able to get both those things at the same location, and I think they feel more comfortable finding the resources at their local Community college where they're attending the training.
1: And Camille what, what what are your thoughts.
0: As I speak to colleges, I have to agree. I mean, some of the things that I just tell the colleges is look at those components that make Snapy and T successful. So what is the pop- you got to have the population? You have to have the funding and you have to have the services. So we know at community colleges or really any colleges, students are coming from um, limited resources. Right. We talk about starving students. So we know often they are eligible for SNAP benefits or could or maybe already on SNAP, especially at community colleges. We have adult learners that are coming back, single parents. So that's a population. We, we already know we have that at the colleges. The second is we need to have non-federal funds um, as a funding source for reimbursement. Again, that's something colleges have. We have foundation money, we have state funding. And then of course, the third, as Stephanie said, are the services that we are able to provide these um, participants, which is the education and the support services.
1: No, that those are, are you know really good points, and I and I think it really brings up the fact that you know one of the um, strong fits for community colleges is that they're already doing these things anyway. So it's not a matter of starting up new services. It's not a matter of you know looking necessarily outside your own existing student student body to to be able to you know leverage these types of programs. We see all the benefits, but Camille, if I could ask you to start with um, from your experience at Truckee Meadows, like why did your college want to become a provider in the first place? Like, did, were there certain goals that you wanted to see? What oper- or were there certain opportunities and benefits for your students?
0: I don't know if we really wanted to because I don't think we really knew the college knew about SNAP ENT. Um, it came about in 2018, so fairly new at the college. We received a grant from the state, from the Governor's Office of Economic Development, and with that came a pilot for snap ET. And as we learned more about snap E&T, we just found that we could leverage that governor, the GOED, Governor's Office funding. Um, to bring in some revenue to continue the programs that we were starting. We knew that grant was only a limited time that we would be receiving it. So what a great opportunity to try and leverage those funds to sustain a program. And, you know, that's kind of what we saw as the benefit. We were already, like you had said earlier, we're already going to provide those services for this population. So why not get some funds reimbursed to us to continue those programs?
1: Stephanie, that, uh, anything to add?
2: So uh, I wasn't involved in the process when we first got started with the SNAP employment and training grant, um, but Lorraine County Community College has always been such a leader and an innovator in student support. So they just saw a way to be able to expand upon that. Um, we already have some programs as far as training programs that are kind of geared to help students that need the extra support through our SAIL program. Um, which helps students with financial and academic um, things to help them be successful. And then our fast track programs, which look at the in-demand occupations in our area um, to be able to help students get those credentials quickly. Um, So it was just, it was just a good fit.
1: Yeah. And I think those, both of those points, um, you know, bring up the fact that this is a this is a federal program that's not a new program, and I think what's happening is that more organizations are becoming aware that it's a great way to create a sustainable model for a lot of the services that they're already providing for their um, for their students. When I say it's a federal program, a lot of that automatically sort of brings up the uh, image of you know bureaucracy and red tape, and and you know the way SNAP uh, is set up is there is the the state. Agency usually it's the Health and Human Services agency in each state is tasked with operating the SNAP-ET program, and so I asked this. We talked about this uh, a little bit with intermediary organizations about how their contracts work. So I want to get your perspective on, you know, just to kind of get a little bit more information on how the contracts work, you know, working from individual college to the state. So. You, you guys uh, and Camille, when you were at Truckee Meadows, you contracted directly with the state. So what was your interaction or how did you interact with the state agency that runs SNAP? Was it, you know, uh, regular communications? Was it sort of you had to sit down and hash things out? Like, how did that how does that work?
0: Um, as I said, you know, 2018 is when Truckee Meadows Community College started the program, and it is now 2023. And we are still working out details and um the specifics of how to run the program as you had said it's been around for quite some time and the college turkey meadows was the first college to start it in the state so i think we're still all learning um, about how to best um utilize this program and develop it and help the students initially when um, we received the state funding we like i said had it in And it was combined with snap ENT and T and a prison ed funding. So it was very limited and we started small. And I think that was really important because I could not imagine us trying to serve hundreds of students and still working on these details of the snap program and how we were going to do the contract, the reimbursements, the billing, um, the tracking of participants. Um, And initially we started as an annual contract with the state. By the time I moved over to NSHE, we had done a four-year contract with the state, which made it a lot easier because those contracts take some time to work. All right, Stephanie, what about you?
2: So Camille said it perfectly. Like we're still learning through the process. Um, like I said before, I wasn't involved um, right away, but we have had scheduled meetings with the state of Ohio at Job and Family Services. We do have regular meetings with our local uh, Lorraine County, Job and Family Services. So we're still just working through things. Um, I think you just have to keep an open mind and know that it's going to take a while to work through all the details. But as long as all the parties are willing to work with each other, um, we can all be successful with it.
1: No, and I think that brings up a really good point around being um, you know, patient and it's recognizing it's going to take a long time. So can you guys give a brief snapshot of like what the contract cycle looks like you know there's an usually there's an initial application you have to be written into the state plan and then like what is the like what happens annually
0: well um at, at TMCC the first thing obviously was a new program so the very first thing we had to do was identify what non federal funds we had that we can utilize for the leveraging we identified what the population that were most likely going to be snap participants that we could serve and um, the third is just what are the services that we are able to provide at the college? And we we're fortunate at the time the state did have a worksheet that we could use to kind of help walk us through those things. Um, the contract cycle, I would have to refer to the state because I know that there's some deadlines that they have. So we would work out our budget and the staff that we knew were going to get reimbursed for their time, um, the services we we're going to provide, what we were going to pay for, how we're going to pay for those things. We provide the budget to the state. And it, at least in Nevada, they write up the scope of work and the contract. They send it back to us. We sign it and then wait for the feds to return it back to us. The state right now, I think, is asking for our parts in August um, is there a deadline that we need to return it back to them? And then they have a deadline, obviously, with the federal side.
1: Stephanie, is that any different at in Ohio versus uh, Nevada?
2: No, it, that all sounded exactly kind of how we do it in Ohio. The only difference is, is that we also have an MOU with our local job and family services, um, so that might be a little different.
1: Yeah, I do think, and it's interesting, uh, you know, when you're talking about state-run systems versus county-run systems, those types of stuff. Um, so, Camille, you have a a bit of a unique perspective um, because you've both worked at the the local institution, and now you're at the state uh, system, working in a similar function. And I believe your state is moving towards like intermediary model for the entire for all the community colleges in the state. So, can you talk a little bit about Um, your experience at, or or just which model you prefer, um, you know, individual colleges directly with the state versus that intermediary model?
0: Well, I think that it, it, as when I was working at the college, I preferred that model. And now that I'm at NSHE, I prefer this model. I think there are benefits and barriers to both. Um, When you're at the college, you're working directly with the state, you're able to get that direct guidance and assistance specific to your college. And at least in Nevada, you know, we are a large state. People sometimes think Reno and Las Vegas are very close to each other, but they're, you know, eight to 10 hours apart, um, a drive, eight to 10 hour drive apart. So um, the services that colleges provide are so different and the populations they serve are very specific to each college. So now being at NCHI, it's really, you know, I can say this is how we did it at TMCC, but that doesn't mean that's how they're going to do it at the other colleges. So the, I think that's one of the barriers is understanding the specific populations needs, um, ability of each college and how they can um, implement SNAP t So The good part about the contract as a community college is you can tailor it specific to your college, implement the program and do it how you want it done there. The parts about NSHE, of course, is that we can track it. We're able to, as an intermediate, we're able to see the big picture, collect that data at a state level, and then also provide those services to the entire state. But the deficiency is that we don't know um, always what each of the colleges, what their needs are and how they can provide these services. But we learn a lot of communication, as you had said, asked about how we interact with the state. It's just a lot of meetings, discussions. And I have to say, when we started at TMCC, one of the greatest sources of support was SJI, who we were visiting with, um, and calling other states and agencies. I like to say we don't need to recreate the wheel. There, these they're great programs all across the state. You had Nicole last; it sounds like last time from Louisiana, they have great programs there as well. Um, so. I feel like I'm very proficient in how it needs to be at a community college, and I'm really learning how to implement it at a state level now at NC.
1: No, and that's a, that's a really good point, because, it you know, when you talk to a state agency, they may prefer one contract versus, in, in Nevada's case, four, but, like, your, to your point around, you know, being an individual college contracted with the state, you have the ability, you know, to sort of shape your own model at your college without having to then, you know, have a state agency uh, interpret what you're trying to do and then communicate that to the state. You are able to communicate directly with the state. So it's a, that's a really good perspective. And, and um, it's interesting to hear because most people would immediately say, oh, well, intermediary because it's more efficient. Well, but does it actually get what needs to be done done? So I appreciate that that input.
0: Working as an intermediary also is beneficial, I think, for the state to have it for the local state agency, because we're able to provide consistency in some way as far as consistency and how the program is the specifics, how we track participants forms that need to be filled out. Um, those things I think the state appreciate because they're not looking at 10 different things from the different colleges. This is how this college tracks participants. These are the forms this college is this college uses. Um, an example is down south and near the Vegas area. They developed an amazing program to kind of pre-populate some of the data and we're going to look at using that throughout the state because as NSHE and the intermediary, if we see something that's really working well at one college, we have the ability to make it consistent through all the colleges.
1: So, we mentioned earlier that Snap ENT is not an easy program to navigate and has a lot of roadblocks and frustrations, particularly when it's your first um, starting out. So Stephanie, I'll start with you. If you could share some of your maybe some of your biggest challenges you encountered with the startup, things that might continue to
2: be a bit of a challenge? I think it was just originally starting and figuring out. to get started and how to implement everything together so that just took a lot of you know meetings with the state and with our county our local county office to be able to like kind of hash those things out Um, and that's something that's continuing like we're still meeting and we're still talking about those things Um, another thing from us as happened to everybody was COVID. Um, there were exemptions that the federal government had released to students, so it made our population of employment and training students um, quite smaller. Um, so, getting a hold of those students and trying to recruit those students to come in and volunteer for the program—that's kind of been a challenge for us. Um, those exemptions have now passed, um, so we anticipate with this next budget year that we'll have additional students that we'll be able to pull into the program. So it is, like you said before, starting small and then just working to to expand the program.
1: Camille, what about you? What are some of your challenges?
0: Um, I think that, like I said, you know, it's a new program in our state to work with the first college. And one of the challenges, and it still is today, is coming up with the common um, understanding and defining some of the services and the reimbursements as you said, it's a federal program. But from my understanding, the federal side gives the state a lot of autonomy on how they want to run the program. And that's kind of where we need to kind of find that common understanding because how the state understands it from the feds and then trickles down to the college is can be very different. It, we could have a lot of differences in that. But also, I think some of the challenges is helping the state understand as we spoke um, at different TA programs is how um, the state doesn't always understand the college lingo and the college programs. Some colleges are on quarter systems, some on semester systems. What does Pell mean? How do you navigate all that? So I think that also has been some of the roadblocks is just helping the state understand the college side, but also the college understanding the state side. Um, I would say another roadblock is internally within the college, and of course, this is specific to TMCC. We took a lot of time trying to help um, different departments understand SNAP and T. Um, financial aid department needed to understand how SNAP and T fit into financial aid. The budget department, um, the grants department, and then of course the leadership. Uh, they don't. I would. I always kind of explain it. You know, colleges are not a Private industry that are there to make money. We are a public institution and we already get a lot of funding. So sometimes the colleges don't have that buy in on how we can kind of make money. You know, they don't see it as a source of revenue income for the college. So helping them understand that part and how we can use the funds. And once you get it back, it's unrestricted. We can use it again to leverage. additional resources for students. Just getting the word out at the college, there's also a lot of stigma still about being on SNAP benefits. And we really worked hard to try and reduce that stigma on our campus to encourage students to apply. And that being on SNAP doesn't necessarily mean just getting food stamps as students see it, right? As food stamps. It also opens the door to so many other resources and services. Once you're on SNAP, at least in our state, it opens the door to things like emergency um, utility assistance, uh, housing assistance. There are, are also programs that allow, once you're on SNAP, to get things like internet access for $10 a month sometimes. So I would really tell students, don't think of it as I'm getting food stamps. Think of it as it opens the door to so many other programs that you are eligible for, including SNAP BNT. and t You could get $10 a month on SNAP assistance and it still opens all those doors for those resources that students so desperately need.
1: These um, safety net programs aren't designed to be long-term solutions. They're designed to get you uh, through a challenging period in your life. And, you know, and I do agree, I, it's unfortunate that the stigma is still around, but I do think that community colleges, as third party partners, also not only provide, you know, because they are doing a lot of the services anyway, but I think it's a different environment to come onto a college campus to receive services or to get signed up or to get introduced to SNAP versus going to a a county agency. It's just a different environment. And so I think, hopefully, that will, you know, reduce some of that stigma. The the, (laughs) The students that are in need are already on campus anyway, so it's not like, you know, you're having this huge influx of the general public Although that is an uh, incentive for students to now enroll in, in, in a you know an academic program that can you know change their lives moving forward through receiving these types of benefits. So, you know, and I also liked your point about having to educate the state on how colleges operate. I think that's one of the things we have learned um, through this project is that colleges are full of very smart people. But they're segmented, you know, they're siloed. You've got financial aid in the business office, you've got academics, you've got student supports. And so all of those internal, they're almost like internal agencies have to work together versus other parties that are providers like community-based organizations, maybe very small in scale. And there's five people in the whole organization. So it's a lot easier to sort of implement and integrate those processes, whereas the college, each individual department has its own processes. And so it's a lot more work to get that. Um, the institution to sort of operationalize, you know, SNAP, e and t and so I think that um, does take a lot longer in a college, um, but a lot of the infrastructure is already there, so once those, those partnerships or, you know, uh, collaborations happen, it, it does sort of move things forward more rapidly, um, and I can't remember if it was Stephanie or Camille, but one of you mentioned um, funding <laughs> for this, so we hear that a lot, that colleges, you know, because as a reminder, this is a, what I like to call an expense offset program. So, you know, you have to be able to show that you're already spending the money on these services. And then the, the, uh, Snappy and T program is a reimbursement. So you get reimbursed 50% of the money that you're spending on these services, which is another good thing that colleges do is because typically they tend to have a, um, won't say deeper pockets, but they're already spending money on these services anyway. So it's a good way for them to um, offset those expenses that they're already paying um, to then, like uh, Camille, you mentioned when the money comes back to the institution, it it loses its federal status. So it can be reinvested in multiple areas of the college. What did your institutions do? Let's start with Stephanie on this one, because I know we heard a little bit about this from Camille, but what did you guys do to identify the non federal funds initially to sort of kickstart the program?
2: So at Lorraine County Community College, we have had a student support center, not called the ARC, but a student support center that's been on campus since 1988. So we've already identified through our Lorraine County Community College Foundation um, dollars that they get through donations. Um, to to run those programs. So it was really just an easy fit because we were doing it. So it was just a really easy fit to just use those dollars um, for this program. And we got the buy-in pretty much right away from our leadership at the college.
1: And that's another example of the college doing something already. The college, most, I haven't come across a college that doesn't have a foundation as part of of the institution. So they're already accumulating non-federal dollars that can be leveraged, you know, if, and it makes it easier for them to recruit money in the future, because if you go to a nonprofit and say, you know, hey, if you give us um, enough money to train 10 students, well, I'll make, I'll train 15 for the same price, because we're part of this program, and so that's, that's a a good way to show, um, you know, philanthropic community that we're, that you're, you know, maximizing their dollars, so you know and that's something that colleges go oh yeah we do have a foundation we do already give these scholarships we do already fund all these things let's now get some money reimbursed to us on the stuff that we're already doing and so i camille i mean you mentioned that you guys got a state grant i guess how did you then have to shape those grant dollars
0: as stephanie said brought up a really good thing is at tmcc we already had programs that were non federally funded that were under my umbrella and it was called Educational Partnerships Program, and that was already serving the population that we identified would be the highest need for SNAP et That Under that umbrella, there were a couple different things. Um, initially, we had the GOED funding, the Governor's Office of Economic Development, and it was there to support individuals that were just involved. We knew that people getting released from incarceration come out with SNAP benefits so we could use the state funding to leverage um, working with that population. That was initially a grant, but as we succeeded over the couple years we had it, it is now legislative state funded so we can continue serving that population. Also, we had through um, Department of Training and Rehabilitation, Employment Training and Rehabilitation, Displaced Homemaker Program, again already receiving those state funds, and we could leverage that for Stampy and T. And then when we got Stampy and T, we put that under the same umbrella, and that it, it's programs that are there to provide education and employment to individuals that have barriers to education and employment. So Stephanie brought it up. You look for those programs that are already serving that population and then to incorporate SNAP et into it. Um, we had a worksheet that I developed and we just had departments, we brainstormed. This is, as you brought up, it is a partnership. It's a partnership with the state. It's a partnership within your college and it's a partnership in the community. And you sit down and you look at all those different um, resources and supports that you provide students, whether it's on campus or off campus, and see how can we intertwine that with what we're already doing. And it's surprising. At first, you think, we don't have a whole lot of state. How are we going to find this money? Do we really do this? Because a lot, I think maybe a lot of colleges, a lot of the funding do come from federal programs like Perkins, and you can't do much with Perkins because it's federal so just being really creative and as you start looking at it you realize we do have um, a lot of resources that we can use for that and I would say one of the biggest because the college initially at least when I was there looked at it as tangible items that we would provide as a fund as a source of reimbursement things like tuition books tools, supplies, things like that. But I would say when you start small, one of the biggest resources that you can use for leveraging is staff time. And we do have a lot of staff that are state funded, their positions are state funded. So I would say it over and over again, identify your dream team, um, get those few people on your campus that you know are state funded, that you work directly with quite often in your programs, that you can leverage their time for reimbursement because that really helps build up your um, reserves of reimbursement for SNAP and And that's what I tell the colleges. They say, "Well, we don't really have a lot of sources to pay for tuition other than Pell or Perkins. We don't have a we don't purchase things like clothing for students to get to school and they need that SNAP reimbursement to be able to provide those things. And how do you start building that reserve is the service, the actual one-on-one case management that you provide the students, identify the staff and use their salary as leverage.
1: So it sounds like in both your cases, it, it just takes you know, some creativity, some open-mindedness with those internal conversations, because I know recently we were just talking about um, You know, if you have positions that are funded through one, maybe it is a federal source or you're, I'm sorry, if you're paying for something through a non-federal source that can be funded through a federal source, like a staff person, for instance, you can change how that person's position is funded and then free up non-federal funds. So it's, it's this creativity of, you know, identifying those sources and figuring out, well, can we, you know, shift... How certain things are paid for internally to then free up those non-federal dollars. And I think, you know, um, that is a a lot of it's a lot of work. So there's you know, there might be some pushback on that. But I do think that there's so much already being done internally that you can leverage. And I think the staff people, um, the staffing costs that are already being like they're salaried positions, they're they're already being paid for. Through state funds most of the time, so it's sort of like you have all of these things that can then be reimbursed because you're paying for those positions anyway. So I think, you know, the next big challenge that we hear a lot is capacity. So like, you know, as, as soon as a, as an institution hears like, oh, we have this new federal program, and we, you know, and they they automatically think, oh my gosh, I don't have the staff for that. Community college staff already wear like 18 hats anyway, so how are we going to build that in? Um, And you guys have both mentioned that starting small and scaling up. Um, Is that how, you know, we hear that as a recommendation. And I don't know if you could share a little bit more about, you know, maybe how you sort of started small with your staffing. Like in Stephanie's case, I think you guys already had the student support center on campus, so you were already doing that. So now all you have to do is just, you know, identify or quantify that time and effort dealing with the with the SNAP students, and then that's how you sort of start small.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely how we started small. Um, we just started to look at the list we get from our local job and family services, and then focus some of that outreach to those students when we were reaching out to students anyways. We just made a more um, effort those students to definitely like make sure they got personal emails and they got personal phone calls. And we um, just kind of focused a little bit more on them. Um, but it was something we were already doing. So we just shifted a little bit of the focus and just trained our staff that we already had.
1: And then were you able to then submit that staff time for reimbursement, correct?
2: Yes, we do submit that time um, for reimbursement for that grant.
1: Okay. Yeah, and we also,
2: we were very lucky too. We uh, started out originally with, and we still have it with a SNAP outreach grant. Um, so we were already doing the outreach to our students to get them enrolled in SNAP. So it was, really, it was just kind of an easy uh, fit for that because when we help somebody fill out the application for SNAP, we tell them about the employment and training program and the, the advantages to that program also. So it is it is really helpful.
1: Camille, did you guys do anything differently or is that sort of how you started with your um, staffing?
0: Yeah, I, I, it's Snappy and Tea is an amazing program. And to me, after all these years, I feel like it's so easy. It's easy to understand. Why don't you get this? But I have to remember that when we started, it was very confusing to me. I probably... It needed at least two years before I could sit down and really explain SNAP as best as I can. I still have challenges. So initially you, it, it you could, I, we had one college that put all their counselors, all their advisors, like they tried to put everybody on the contract, right? But the first thing is, even if you put all these folks on your contract, do they understand the program and the components, first of all? And also, are you really going to want to track the time and effort of 100 people to start. And I have spoken to other colleges. We've learned from ACCT, SJI. If you have 10 students in Snappy into your first year, That is amazing. It's good. So some colleges think we need thousands of people our first year. No, 10, 20. Amazing. If you've got 50, you're rocking it. You should be on this podcast instead of me. Um, Because you have to, first of all, make sure that staff understands it. And in order to get that reimbursement, there's a lot of tracking that you have to do initially. And do you really want to do all the tracking for Um, staff that may not even be touching the students initially and it will grow and at a certain point you would be able to put all those folks on a contract but start small and as I said over and over on the podcast here is that we are still working out the details within the college system itself and with the state um, on how this program needs to be run at each institution on a state level. So starting small is ideal.
1: I'll ask this um, in a two-part question. So because you have now started, you know, accounting for time and effort of staff, have you and building, um, you know, a resource, uh, some resource funding from the reimbursements, have you been able to expand your staff is the first question I have. Um, And then the second question I have, Camille, you were bringing this up about making sure the other staff at the college understand their role in SNAP. Um, So was there, what kind of reaction did you receive from the other staff at the college, like the business office or the financial aid office or the advising team? Was it like, oh, this would be great for the students? Or was it like, you're dumping more work on my lap?
0: dumping more work on our lap. (laughs) That is the part that we are, we're always trying to, like you've said many times, you're already doing the work. So just track your time and get the reimbursement for it. Because you said too, after COVID, we've lost a lot of um, staff, people are doing multiple jobs, and they think, oh my gosh, here's another thing that we have to do. So explain to them this is we're not asking you to do extra you're already working with this population you're already doing your job we just now want to track some of your time and there are a lot of different systems at and at the state level where I'm at now I've learned that colleges have systems already to track schedules time appointments with students the challenge as the state office that I have is that each of the colleges use different systems to do the tracking. So I've had to learn and understand what their systems are and hopefully move on to a system that can be consistent throughout all the colleges. But yes, I often hear, now there's more work. Um, you did um, mention about getting staff, but unfortunately colleges, I'm sure across the country are limited in their resources. You know, enable to provide new positions and snap and T in the future would be able to provide a position to some of the colleges. But initially, if you're only serving a small pool of students, you're not going to have a whole lot of funds to leverage for a position. But we've seen places like Washington State where they're able to use. They've got millions to be able to use to provide a position to support the program so it can happen but it needs to start small. You're not going to get it overnight, but if you have all those processes in place, we know it can scale up and um, have lots of positions, which would be ideal.
1: Yeah, Stephanie, what about you guys?
2: So our leadership team, when they brought it up to us, it was basically a way for us to be able to continue doing what we were doing and get reimbursed for it. So um, they kind of like slyly gave it to us (laughs) um, in that way. So there really wasn't pushback at the beginning. I think the pushback came a little bit later when we were trying to learn the program um, and figure out how to to do all the things and get reimbursed for everything and um, find a way to outreach to the students. So I think that kind of came a little bit later, like "This this is a little bit more work. But we've, we've adjusted as time has gone on, um, and we're still learning. Um, we're still learning new ways to outreach, new ways to get reimbursed. Um, it'll, I think it'll always be an ongoing process as we implement additional programs at the college. And then as far as everybody else, um, I think for Lorain County Community College, because they are so focused on a student success, Um, I think we didn't have people that were worried about the program because it was just a way for us to get additional reimbursement for things we were already providing.
1: No, and I think that that's also a good way to, you know, create sustainability because we know that, you know, sometimes that there are projects or programs that are grant funded initially and then you know the grant doesn't get renewed or whatever and doesn't matter the source but it's sort of like well what do we do now with all this this great infrastructure that we have and so i think snappy and t is one way that you can cre- create some sustainability and we you talk about all the different departments that are involved in the new reports and the, sheet, the time and effort sheets and things like that so were there any efforts made to align internal processes or did you have to create new Uh, internal college processes, um, you know, that would make this implementation of Snappy and T easier or more efficient?
2: So, um, no, I think we had processes that were already in place for other grants and stuff that we get for the college, so I I don't think that there was anything additional that we had to do. Um, I would like to, though, I know Camille has also, like, just to shout out you guys, for ACCT and SJI, like, there are a lot of processes that we would not have been able to put into place had we not received the technical assistance um, through you guys and through SGI. So we really appreciate that.
1: No, and that's, you know, that's what, um, you know, this project was all about. And I do think it brings up a good point that you said that it's another example of already doing things, you know, so community colleges in particular will get a lot of Grant funded projects so they have to create new processes to manage those and so a lot of those can be, you know, uh, utilized in snappy and T so Camille would mention not reinventing the wheel, so I think that's another example of well, we're already tracking students for this particular project we can just use that same method for snappy and T and so I don't know Camille did you have any additional processes that you guys did.
0: Um, I think, you know, as Stephanie said, we had some, but we also had to create specific processes to start this program, which again goes back to starting small so that you can work out those little details, barriers, does it work? Um, If not, then change it, redevelop it. And I think that's, as much as I I keep saying you have to have a good foundation to start. So, and anticipate scaling up, build that foundation, have those processes in place. But I've also learned over the years that that is not going to be consistent, as Stephanie said. And if you mentioned, we're still learning. And I think even states that probably have um, SNAP ENT programs that are 10, 20 years old. I think they're still learning and processes change and different guidance comes out from the federal and state side and colleges change and it's an evolving program. We're always going to have different ways of doing things. Colleges have, um, you know, contracts with certain databases that ends they want to try something different and then you have to kind of change things to make it work. So it's always evolving into something new, but I encourage when I here at the state now I encourage the colleges to try and build a really strong foundation to start and then anticipate it changing as you learn more and you start scaling up the program.
1: And yeah, and I think that's so important because and you know and just reiterating that it's going to change. Snap ENT is not the only thing that's going to change at the college. I mean it's it like all these things constantly are are evolving. And I and I do think that, you know, also constantly reminding the institution that it's all about the students, and this is a absolutely fantastic way to serve the students that are coming onto your campuses. I mean, I just, it is such a unique program that, and it provides such comprehensive supports for the students that, you know, it's amazing what. Um, you know, if if the time and effort is put in at the beginning to set up that foundation, what can actually happen um, with those with those student outcomes? And so I wanna, I know we've talked about, you know, all the challenges and the roadblocks and the, you know, the ugly side of federal programs uh, at community colleges, but I wanna, you know, circle back to the students again and talk um, a little bit of on a, end on a more positive note and why we put all this effort into Snappy and T. So, if you wouldn't mind sharing a story or two around some of the successes that you've had with students,
0: I had mentioned before that we received a pilot project funding from the Office of Economic Development to work with justice-involved students, and realized how well that worked with Snappy and T. And as advocates of social justice. Um, not only are we able to provide those education benefits for our students, but the community, the state, you know, just citizens returning citizens. So um, the funding for the justice involved, we had an individual come in and um, a family um, married there, I believe there were four or five children within the family, the individual that was justice involved was working to very minimum wage, I think one was like landscaping, the other was bussing tables, two jobs, while the wife also worked a third job, they were receiving SNAP benefits, he was as involved, came in and was interested in participating in the HVAC program. It is difficult for a family of four to have one individual leave two jobs to then pursue education full-time, but SNAP E&T, along with federal financial aid, along with all the other supports that the college was able to provide, allowed him to be able to quit those two jobs and focus on school full-time. One of the things that he received was child care, because that was one of the biggest expenses the family was paying, that they needed those three sources of income. So Snappy and t was able to provide him with child care, the tools that he needed, the individual attended school and they have left their employment because they wanted in, as quick as possible to get through the education. The HVAC program can be up to two, three years, but we got him through in one year. He, If he was already working two jobs, we knew he could devote that amount of time into education. So, so proud. I saw him graduate. Um, his family came. Uh, he wore this hat and it said, um, you know, the graduation cap and sometimes student decorate it and said, um, my family walked across the border so I could walk across the stage. His children came to his graduation. He's now employed in HVAC and he makes more um, than he did at those two jobs. And now his spouse is going to college. And I think that's a huge thing too. People say, well, we're only changing one person's life. You're changing the entire family's life. Those children's lives will be changed forever. I doubt that family will ever be on snap again. He's making incredible income. The wife is going to school. And the last I heard, his oldest child was also attending community college. And I remember one time... He was on the phone with me and the kids were screaming and he said, you need to get off. You need to stop playing around and get to your homework if you want to go to college like me, because we know we know that parents that follow that path, the likelihood of their children following that path. So I always think of it as we're not just changing the life of that one student. We're changing the lives of the entire family and the people that are around that student, you know, their neighbors and friends. As you were talking, just to go back to earlier and the stigma of being on SNAP, I say one of the biggest ways to reduce that stigma is peers, right? When you have a student in your class that's in the SNAP ENT program sitting next to another student who's saying, I don't know how to come up with this money for books this semester and blah, blah, blah. The biggest advertisers of this program are other students. And we would get them coming in and saying, hey, Bob's on this program and he's getting all these supports. And I think I might be eligible too. Can you help me? And that stigma is reduced, right? If you hear it from another peer, the likelihood of you wanting to be a part of that program is greater. And there are so many successes. I mean, that is just one student I mentioned, but we have students that are leaving Snappy and T employed in amazing fields, making incredible income, buying homes. I just, again, this is changing their lives into the future and the whole family's lives.
1: These programs aren't designed to be long-term. That's like Camille's story that she shared was exactly the intent of this type of program. Someone needed the support so they could go to school because they had to leave their income you know, to be able to make a better income in the future. And that's exactly what these programs are designed for. And so, you know, that going back to that stigma, it's like the people don't want to be on these programs forever. This is not that is, is such a false narrative that people want to live off, you know, these programs because it's a pain in the butt to be on these programs a lot of times. And, but they're there to help someone temporarily to be able to accomplish. Um, what they need to do to support themselves and their families in the future. And and that story just, you know, speaks to that exactly. Do you have any advice for colleges that are interested in becoming a provider? And then are there factors that they should look at, you know, like infrastructure, capacity, funding, supports, those types of things um, when they're deciding that?
0: You know, like you had mentioned in the beginning about department staff personnel thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be more work, you're putting more on us, is to really start small. And I think the advice I would have to other colleges is number one, do this. It makes sense. You're already doing the work. You're already serving the population. You already have those services. So do it. Be open to it, learn about it, and make it happen. And reach out to other states that have programs. Apply for those technical assistance grants. You know, reach out to ACCT, SJI, other states, and make it happen. Start small. It is doable. And I think the other thing, as I was thinking about the individual, the success story is. Although you want to leverage funds and provide these resources and get them at your college, one of the biggest things is working with community partners. Um, The individual that I had mentioned, we wrapped him with services outside of the college because we knew once he graduated, that doesn't mean you don't need support still for a while to continue your employment. So we partnered things like with Voc Rehab that once he was employed, was able to provide him with thousands of dollars of tools that we you know, would not have been able to do as a college. So also making sure that you work with those community partners um, and have those resources that you can link students to in the future. But the biggest thing is just do it. I, I can't imagine any college that would not have the population to serve, the non-federal funds, and the services that you need to provide. Almost every college has that. And it just makes sense, even if you're getting a small amount of funding to start, is to start small and scale up, and um, it's revenue for the college.
2: I agree with Camille, just do it. Um, I think if you can identify those non-federal funds that you already are using at your college, um, and then just learn as you go. Um, you're going to just ask tons of questions um, think about the things that you're already doing and find ways that you can implement those into that program and get reimbursed for them and um, encourage all the colleges to take advantage of this program
1: camille was talking about around partnerships i think a lot of times community colleges do have a tremendous amount of services that they're already providing on campus but there are also instances where there's going to be some need, need to be some external partnerships to sort of fill out any gaps uh, in those students needs and I don't want the colleges to think like oh we have to do all this and we have to internalize every single process that that student needs I think it's about you know knowing what you're um, what you're already doing on campus but then also identifying external partnerships and resources you know when you need to so it's, it's it's both an and it's internal services you're already doing and external services um, external partnerships when, when necessary.